in Jesus' name, and uh, welcome you to our get-together tonight. I'm looking forward, have been looking forward to this. Always a special night, doubly special night. I always say this when we have communion together. That's a privilege for brothers and sisters to have communion together with each other, and uh, especially tonight again. Uh, it's an exciting night because we're celebrating what Jesus did. And when I use the word exciting, it's always kind of weird to use that, and you probably have thought of this before too, uh, that we call this Good Friday when we uh, actually talk about something that's really not that good and didn't, uh, doesn't feel that good always, and tonight's no exception to how that's, that's going to go. But it is something we want to uh, acknowledge, and it's very good for us, right? The result for us is incredible. And I want to just invite you tonight to, uh, to allow yourself, and, and hopefully you've done this before, but to allow yourself to uh, be taken to a place where you recognize how desperately you needed what Jesus did on the cross. Tonight we're going to spend some time looking at the events that led up to Jesus dying on the cross, not so much the cross itself, although we know that's where it ended. I'm going to draw some parallels or some, uh, bring some, uh, some words out of Scripture that uh, maybe, maybe on one hand uh, make us look at the disciples and recognize they weren't uh, superhuman people that uh, got everything right. On the other hand, it kind of sweeps us in there in that same group with them. As we start tonight, I want you to imagine or to see yourself in the scene that Scripture paints just before Jesus is arrested. You know that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is uh, there with his disciples, most of them. He is surrounded by those that have sworn that they will be with him. No matter what happens, they're going to stay with him. It's dark outside, and there's this scene where he's been praying, and he's been agonizing, and he's been weeping, and he's been sweating, and he's been asking the Lord that maybe there's something different or some other way this could happen, and yet he continually reminds himself. And then there's that moment, there's that moment, and I don't know how you see this, but when I was in India in February, we got to have... Uh, lunch one day, we sat down in a, in a grove, a mango grove, and there's just a, this flat piece of ground, and it may not have been flat there, but this piece of ground, and there's trees all over, and, and it's, and it's uh, you know, being kept clean, and in fact, over there, much like maybe they had over in Israel, they had little troughs that, uh, they would, that the water would flow through, and they would literally, by hand, scoop the dirt around to make the water go in different places. This is the kind of scene that Jesus is in a grove. That's what Gethsemane was. It's a garden. He was in a grove of trees. And, the, and the, it's nighttime. The, the, the sun is down. And there's a sense that something's happening, but nobody really knows what's going on if you're a disciple anyway. And then these lights start appearing. And through the lights, this noise of people approaching. And it's that moment that Scripture has been building towards. It's that moment that sort of they're waiting for. And out steps from among the darkness, among the group of people, out steps one of their own. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Rabbi. And he gives him a kiss. That word betrayal. I have no doubt that every one of us has felt betrayed in our lives at some point. Real or imagined. Most of us probably real. We've probably all had real times where we have been betrayed by someone. 
We have thought that they, had a, they, they were on our side. We had thought they were going to be on, for us. We had thought that they were going to come through for us. We had thought that they were uh, liking us or loving us or they, that they were somehow, and, and, it, and it doesn't work out that way, right? And how does that make you feel inside? Where does that leave you? We all know that, that crestfallen, that <laughs> kind of kick in the gut, that sock way down below. And I, don't, I imagine if you were seeing yourself among the group of disciples that night, for them there's a bit of that going on. Judas, what are you doing? I'm sure, I'm sure that as he stepped forward from that crowd, and here are the disciples with Jesus, as he stepped forward and he walks up right to his master, the one he had called master, and he gives him that greeting and he's leaning forward that they're holding their breath. But I want to just invite you tonight, sort of freeze that frame and go back Go back in time, and I'm going to be sharing this from the Gospel of Mark tonight, but go back in time and recognize that Jesus said these words about a week earlier as they were heading towards Jerusalem before this was going to happen. Back in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said these words. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And I want to stop there. I'm going to keep reading the verse in a little bit. I'm going to stop there because he says, you see, we're going to go to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, it's his title for himself, referring to himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered. Now that word delivered is the Greek word paradidomi, which you don't need to know that word necessarily, but it's the same word that means betrayed. So when it says that Judas betrays him in the garden, the scene that I just painted, we just left hanging there, it's the same word. It means to be given over or to be handed over or to be given up. It's the same word. So Jesus said, listen, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they were going to condemn him to death. And they are going to deliver same word, they are going to deliver him over to the Gentiles. You see, he's, no, he's telling them what order's going to go. He's going to be handed over, he's going to be betrayed to the chief priests. And they are going to give him or hand him over to the Gentiles. And he finishes it by saying to the Gentiles, they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Now, if you opened your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, where I was reading those verses from, that's verses 33 and 34, I want you to let your eyes travel down. Hopefully, you did open your Bible, or maybe you are familiar with the Scripture. I want you to let your eyes travel just in the next uh, verses that come just after that. After Jesus gives this explosive revelation, listen, he says, my followers, we're going to go to Jerusalem they're going, to ha- they're going to betray me. They're going to hand me over to the chief priests, which they all knew that the chief priests hated him. And they're going to find him guilty, and they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles, and they're going to mock him and flog him and kill him. He makes this explosive declaration. And the next couple of verses right after that, what happens? If you're looking, just, just say it out loud. What happens? What's the very next thing that happens in the story? 
So right after that, James and John, and depending on which gospel you're reading, his, their mother comes with them too, and they say, hey, can you give us a favor? Can you do something for us? When you come in your kingdom, we want to be seated at your right hand and at your left hand. And Jesus has some words for them, right? And the other disciples aren't really happy with them, right? But think about this for a moment. You're probably having the same reaction. Jesus just told you, he's going to, we're going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be killed. And you're going to just go to him right after that and say, hey, can we, can we have the two most important positions when you become, you know, in your kingdom, when you, when you take the throne that's rightfully yours? And you say, wait a minute. Hold on. How could you do that? How could you think that? But I want to point out to you, that's not the first time that they heard Jesus say those words. In fact, just prior to that, if you would go back one more chapter in Mark chapter 9, he says the same thing. In Mark 9, 31, he says to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered, same word, given over, handed over, uh, given up, betrayed. He's going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when, they are, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. He again plainly told them, here's what's going to happen. We're headed someplace. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. Now, once again, if you have your Bible that you tracked back with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 31, can you let your eyes travel down a couple of verses? What's the very next thing that happens? <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? What's the very next thing that happens? They're walking as they're going to Jerusalem, and they get to the next place, and Jesus looks back at them, and he says, hey, what were you guys talking about back there? And they don't want to say it, right? Because why? What were they arguing about? Who is the greatest? Now, if you weren't thinking it the first time, you're for sure thinking it now, right? What in the world? Come on, guys. Jesus just told you he's going and he's going to be handed over. He's going to be betrayed, which is that awful word that brings those feelings out. He's going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed. And you're going to take the next moments walking, deciding which one of you is the greatest. You see, we all know which one it was that walked up in the Garden of Gethsemane and gave Jesus the kiss, don't we? But in what ways did all of them betray Jesus? Now, believe it or not, that's actually not even still the first time that Jesus told them what was going to happen. Because one more chapter back, in chapter 8, this time, it says this. Mark records in chapter 8, verse 31, that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So he began to tell them these things already at that point. He began to make it clear. This is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Now, just before that, of course, is that great moment where Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they say all these kind of things. And he looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and says, you're the Messiah. You are the one that God sent. And we believe that. And it says from that point on, he began to teach. When they began to realize that, when they began to acknowledge that, then he began to say, hey, this is not going to break down the way you think it's going to break down. 
for we are going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be delivered. Whatever words you want to use. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. And I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to rise again. Likewise, now it's not quite the same situation, but likewise, again, if you look a verse later, what happens right after Jesus starts saying these things plainly? What happens? What's the very next verse? Peter says, now get this. Now, how many times do you want to be uh, marked down in books that are, you know, retained for all of history? Do you want to be marked down that you rebuked Jesus? Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, don't talk like that. That's never going to happen. You can't allow that. That's not what happens in the Messiah. That's not how it works. Three times it's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus very clearly, very plainly told them, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. And all three times, what happens right after that is almost the opposite of what you and I would expect to have happened. But there's a clue in how Jesus responds to Peter. Because what does he say in verse 8, or verse 33 of chapter 8? He says, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind. Make sure you understand where the rest of this verse goes. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I think that gives us a glimpse as to what was happening every single time he told them that. Every single time when they began to realize how, in, how, what greatness they were in the presence of and they were beginning to think about how that was going to work out, they continually kept treating it and thinking about it with the thoughts of man and not the thoughts of God. You see, that's the divergence that happened. That's how it went. I would tell you, by the way, that's the same thing, the same reasoning, the same way of looking at it that brought uh, Judas to the place that he was at when he walked up to Jesus and gave him a kiss. Let me say it this way. When we are presuming to follow God and proclaiming Jesus as who he says he is, and yet we continue to think of things or have the mind and think of things of men and not the things of God, we are in the same way diverging as the disciples did and in the same way, now I want to be careful I say this because we know that Judas was the one that betrayed him, betrayed him. But in the same way, we're offering the same kind of betrayal that the rest of the disciples did. And there probably, I shouldn't even say probably, there's not a one of us in the room here tonight that hasn't been guilty of that. That when God begins to do something in our lives, we say that can't be the way it is. That can't be what God is doing. And God has to come, sometimes come to us and say, you are not thinking, you are not thinking the things of God. You are thinking the things of men. You guys have heard me say things like this many times, so it's no surprise that you'll hear it again tonight. We are so quick so often to look at the disciples in Scripture and say, how could you not get it? It's so plain. It's so obvious. 
And yet, I think we should be very careful how easily we put ourselves in that position of looking at them and not recognizing. I believe someday, as scripture indicates, we will fully see, we will fully know, even as we are fully known, and there will be many, many, many things in our lives that we will have the opportunity to look back and say, how did I not see that? That was so clear. And yet I was completely wrong about what was going on or what what kind of response I should have or whatever it may be. You see, that is in fact, as you think of these men who now they're back, I mean, now they're they're several weeks ahead of, they're several weeks before the moment we began. But that is in fact how it happened. As Jesus begins to tell them and they begin to keep, or they keep missing it and they keep saying things that just don't match and we see ourselves in the disciples that we see that over and over again, it just, they keep marching toward this place that Jesus knew was coming and he kept telling them. So they come. They enter Jerusalem triumphantly. We know that that's what was last Sunday. They enter Jerusalem triumphantly. And he says, now go prepare the Passover meal, which is this incredible, this important meal they're going to sit down with. It's the meal that every Jewish person looks back at and says, this is when God redeemed us. We know God powerfully intervened for us. And the blood that was shed, it was a lamb, but the blood that was shed saved us from death. It delivered us. He says, go prepare the Passover meal. And as they gather in that room that night for that last, we call it the last supper. They didn't know it was going to be the last supper. But for that last supper for Jesus, as they gather there, he's sitting there. He's about to walk them through the Passover celebration. And he looks at them and he says this. This is back, we're moving back forward now again. He says, truly I say to you, one of you is going to, and he uses the word again. One of you is going to betray me. One who is eating with me. There's so much grace that we receive from Jesus. He is sitting in a room with one that he knows will betray him, and all the others are going to fly away from him, right? They're all going to flee. And one is going to deny that he even knows Jesus more than once. And yet, he doesn't tell any of them to leave, does he? I want to be careful how I say this. But it's almost like those times when we participate in communion and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you that's eating from this. But he doesn't turn us away, does he? Instead, now, he did it once, so I want to be careful. That's what I mean. I want to be careful. I said, but instead, he continues to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Let's not be afraid to shy away from the ugly truth that we see in the mirror sometimes of how we've betrayed Christ. That we may recognize how truly, how deeply, how desperately we need his shed blood. How incredibly good the good news of Jesus Christ is that we can ask for forgiveness, that when we ask, when we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness, that we can again come to this table and eat. 
And then, he's just said, somebody's going to betray me. He's just sitting down there, and he takes those emblems, which are so precious for them, and he grabs this loaf of bread, and he gives thanks for it, and he says, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. He says, take, this is my body. Now, they didn't understand, I don't think, what that meant, but they would. They would after Sunday, right? This is my body, broken, destroyed, beaten by his wounds, we are healed. And he took the cup and he gave thanks for it in the same way. And he said, this is my blood. It's with the covenant that just poured out for many. Not just for you sitting around the table tonight, but poured out for many. Still being poured out for us today. There is a fountain. Right? We sing that song. One of my favorite songs, actually. We don't sing it very often, actually. I love that song. It's, such, it's so rich in what it paints. The picture. There is a fountain. And it's filled with Emmanuel's veins. And those that plunge themselves beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains continue to be poured out. A covenant that he says, if you will but enter into your side of it, I'm doing my side of it. It's my guarantee. But you have to enter into your side of it. And you come, and it's the, I'm the guarantee, the Hebrews says this, the guarantee of a better covenant, a, a more solid covenant than what the Old Testament covenant was. The Old Covenant was, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many. And then, after the meal, we keep moving back to where we began. After the meal, they leave. Well, Judas has already left, but they leave and they walk to the garden. It says they sang a hymn, they walk to the garden. He leaves them all except for three. And he begins to be in such great distress as no human has ever known. You want to talk about betrayal. Every time he comes back to his, that he thought were his closest, his, his three that were the most committed, that he took up on the mountain, they saw him transfigured. They knew who he was. Every time he comes back and he says, watch with me, one hour, can you do one hour? Every time he comes back, they're sleeping. You see, we see betrayal one time when Judas kissed him on the cheek. But I see betrayal all the way through this story. You're all going to leave me, he says. And they say, never, we would never do it. And yet he knows what's coming. Please watch with me for one hour. And every time he comes back, they're sleeping. And he says, finally, the moment has come. And he uses that word again. He uses that word again. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. They're coming. They're walking up the slopes. And there's that moment that we started with, right? There comes Judas. There's all the disciples standing there wondering, how could you do this? And he walks up and he plants a kiss 
on the one he called master. He says, Rabbi. And at that moment, everything Jesus had been saying was going to happen begins to happen. He was given over to the scribes, the chief priests, and they condemned him. And they handed him over to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles mocked him and flogged him and spit on him. And then they took him outside of town and they hung him on a tree. That betrayal led to this. I want to paint a different scene for you. I want to go back to the scene that I referred to, but go back to a different scene where they're sitting at a table and they have the emblems of God's great redemption. And they all thought they were looking back at what God had done. And they were. But what they didn't realize is what happened back then was really pointing forward to what God was going to do. And that moment was upon them. Tonight, we have a table set for us. It has emblems on it that represent God's great redemption. And for us, we are pointing back to what Jesus did there. But I also encourage you to think about the fact that this is also still this is also still pointing forward to what God is going to do. For Jesus said those words, eat and drink of this as often as you think of me and do it until I come. Remembering that I'm coming. If I were to ask you how many places of betrayal, of handing over, of giving up Jesus, a giving up of Jesus that you could pinpoint in all the things we talked about tonight, I'm wondering where all your brain would go. Would you pick the obvious, which is the kiss? Or maybe the less obvious, which is all the disciples running away? Or maybe another less obvious, which is all the disciples falling asleep when Jesus is in time of need. Or maybe the times before that when he kept telling them what was going to happen and they kept arguing about who was the greatest. Or they kept telling him that he's wrong, that he can't do that. If I were to expand that out and to say, are you willing to think about or to acknowledge all the ways that you and I or that you have betrayed Jesus, have given him up. Where does your mind run to now? And I say that only to say this. If it's not already under the blood of Jesus and ask for forgiveness, do so now. Do so now. 
We have a great privilege of partaking in emblems that remind us, looking back what Jesus did and looking forward to when he's coming. But don't do so knowingly, sitting at the table knowingly that you've betrayed him. That end, I'm afraid, will look too much like Judas's end. It said for the, Jesus and the disciples that as they finished their meal, we're going to do this a little backwards order, but as they finished their meal, they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. And tonight I thought we would save our singing, group singing, until we're ready to take part of communion. So I want to take a little bit of time and just sing a couple of songs congregationally. Um, I asked Glenn if he'd be willing to lead them for us right from the seat. I'm just going to invite you to think of a few songs. You can select them. You can uh, say which ones you think are good songs to sing for a night like tonight. If you know where they're found in the hymnal, you can let us know. We'll try to find them otherwise. We'll just sing a couple of songs, maybe three songs or so uh, together. And from there, we're going to go into communion. But I, I just, I want to, I want to, I want to hold us in that place. While we are singing, as or if the Holy Spirit begins to make you aware of any kind of betrayal that you see in your life that you have not yet put under the blood of Jesus. Make it right. You can stop singing. You can go to your knees if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can come up here if you want to. I don't, I don't care. Make it right. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you. Place your faith once again in what he did on that tree as his part of the covenant, that when you enter into that covenant and say, I believe what you have done, Jesus, makes me white as snow, Enter into that covenant so that it may be true. By faith you are saved. So that when we are done singing those songs, you can freely and joyfully and unhindered and without eating and drinking judgment on your head, come and partake in communion together with the body of Christ. So I'm going to have a song. <laughs>